and welcome to another episode of the Bakari Tellers Podcast. Today we got my brother, my uh, chat group colleague. Y'all know how those chat groups be. Uh, somebody, so don't, don't start off telling our secrets, man. <laughs> None other than my brother, Antoine C. Wright. Many of you all see Antoine on CBS News. Um, he is a regular commentator over there. He's also the CEO and founder of Blueprint Strategies. And he is one of the preeminent, you know how everybody now says that they are strategists and ain't never been able to vote. Uh, Antoine has actually run races and won them. So what's going on, my brother? Welcome to the show. Bakari, thank you for having me. And uh, before we say anything, let me just say this to you um, publicly. Uh, I'm very proud of the man you've become, both as a husband, as a father, best-selling author, um, a businessman, uh, and certainly one of uh, the needed and necessary voices in the wilderness uh, when our people are lost. And so thanks for what you're doing to help preserve this little 200 plus experiment we called America. I appreciate that, my brother. We got a long way to go though. Uh, you know, we start each one of our episodes by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. And I really want people to hear your story about how you got into politics and the step you, stu- you took at every level in the game where you're now an advisor to the White House, members of Congress, governors, and everybody. And that's not easy coming from the big city of Swansea, South Carolina. So talk to us about how you got your start and the various stops along the way to where you are now. Well, Bakari, I'll frame it like this. Uh, Only in America is my story possible. And I know we oftentimes hear that in politics, but it's certainly true for little black boys who grew up in rural South Carolina like you and I. Uh, You know, my grandparents are sharecroppers. Uh, that's one generation removed from slavery. Uh, I remind people often, um, Bakari, that although my mother and father uh, did not go to anybody's college, they were better than my grandparents because at least they could spell college. And that has been the fuel to really throttle me uh, on my, my professional journey. Uh, after I graduated college, or even when I was in college, I figured out two things. Either we're going to be at the table or on the menu, and ultimately we will decide. And so I got engaged, got involved. Uh, 2000, called myself uh, as a young high school student playing around in politics uh, down in Swansea, thanks to Mr. Wibberley Jeffcoat, making certain that we grew up and were engaged in uh, grass, true grassroots politics. And from there, 2004, um, uh, the, that cycle involved with Congressman John Spratt's congressional race while I was a student at Winthrop University, ended up playing around in the presidential uh, primary of that cycle. And from there, from 2004 to 2006 to 2008, 2008, I served as an advisor to the Clinton campaign, graduated college, went to work to Sunrise Communications, South Carolina's oldest African-American public relations advertising and political consultant firm started by Senator and Reverend uh, J- Daryl Jackson Sr., um, along with Mr. Hayward Bannister, who was another political mentor. And then from there, life just kind of took off. But I think one of the moments in my career that I often do not talk about out loud, Bakari, is that uh, when I was trying to find my way and my why, in particular in the Washington, D.C. space, there were not too many people who wanted to pick up the phone uh, and call me back or even respond to an email or a text. But one day I took the courage and I took the liberty to email Jamie Harrison and ask him, could he one, be my mentor, but two, could I spend some time with him in D.C. because I knew I wanted to play in the D.C. space. Without hesitation, he did. Because at that time, I was working at Sunrise, making $24,998 a year was my salary. I had more bills than money. I was so broke, I could not even pay attention in meetings. So I borrowed money, Bakari. I borrowed money. Uh, 
from a cash advance place, uh, rented a car from Enterprise uh, Rental Car Center, drove to Washington, D.C., stayed at my uncle's house, spent the week with Jamie Harrison while he was at the Podesta Group. And that week literally transformed my career in another way. Uh, and I owe so much to Jamie and to the whip and so many others for uh, allowing me a real opportunity to really have some skin in the game and be at the table. Uh, and from there, you know, the rest has been history from governor's races to congressional's races to candidates to, uh, as you mentioned, the White House and so many other spaces and places I've been blessed to be a part of. And I, I owe that to so many people. You know, you and I often share this uh, one thing in common. We stand on the shoulders of so many people. Uh, and I'm just so proud that those shoulders, some of them are still standing today. You know what, man, you got something else in common too. You didn't mention it, but we both got our ass kicked in one of our races. <laughs> and I laughed at each one of our last races. <laughs> because you don't tell everything. <laughs> uh, so look, I want you to be as objective as you possibly can. Talk to me about what Democrats can do better to break through with all the headwinds they're facing, inflation, some members of our own party undermining the president's agenda and this general feelings that Republicans have uh, momentum going into the midterms. What do they need to do to break through? Well, Bakari, I think we have to clearly articulate what we've done uh, since we've taken control. Uh, if you go around the barbershop, the black man sanctuary, and you ask any one of the worshipers in the barbershop on a Sunday, on a Saturday or a Friday evening, uh, what has Democrats have done for them, their families, and their communities. Most people cannot even articulate what those things are. And so I think we have to remind people where we were, remind people where we are, and also solidify this idea of where we can be if we're not careful and we're not, if we don't come back out in these midterm elections. Think about Bakar. If Democrats do not campaign on anything else for the rest of this cycle, think about what we've done in the America Rescue Plan. $1.6 billion for historical black colleges and universities to wipe out their debt. Well, we got to tell that story. And I don't think that we're using the right messengers. I for, I, for example, think we need to be rolling out the mayors, the Randall Wolfens, the, the, the Frank Scotts, the Vi Lyles of the world. Because, you know, I, I said this in a quote uh, in the Hill publication just days ago. I think it's certainly time, or we're past due, to give so many people their political deployment papers and put them on the battlefield to carry our message. We have an incredible message to sell. And because you, you're a very smart man, well-trained lawyer, I guarantee you in all of your smartness and your astuteness, you could not clearly articulate one thing that the Republicans will be for or what they would do for communities that look, look like ours. And so instead we find ourselves getting boxed in and allowing them to be our messengers on what should be our message. And so then there's this gloom and doom about perhaps the most consequential midterms that we will face in a generation. Let me ask you this question. This is, these are the three words that I find to be the most important going into this midterm. Black infrequent voters. What are you seeing um, in the field from campaigns around these black infrequent voters? And generally speaking, how do you advise campaigns uh, such that they aren't, you know, talking to our mamas who always vote, but they're talking to our cousins who, you know, are always dialed in, but sometimes don't vote or sometimes don't see the need to vote? You know, sometimes, you know, the smart people in Washington, D.C. will call them low propensity voters or infrequent voters. I just call them uninspired voters. 
Why, Bakari? Because we have not met them where they are and told them how we will do something to change their lives forever. You know, Bakari, I was um, I was in the airport just days ago. Uh, it just happened to strike up a conversation. We're talking about climate change. I was talking about how hot it was. And this older African-American couple, they may not understand the nuances of what climate change means, but here's what I said to them. I said, it rains when it ain't supposed to rain. It's hotter than it was when I grew up playing out in the backyard, drinking water from the water hose. Man, look, we got I don't know how I did it, because it, was, it wasn't this hot when we were out there running around. Look, because streets are flooding, uh, wildfires. You know, you, we have to uh, give people the lingo and language that their political digestive systems can process. And we do a piss poor job of that. We spend so much time on the interstate, on the political interstate, because we do not venture off down the dirt roads. Our voters are always down those dirt roads, looking for contact, looking for touch, looking for people to say, we have come to rescue you. Here's how we're going to do it. And after we do it, Bakari, we've got to go back and tell people what we've done for them. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about something that's one of your favorite things. You've written about it. You talk about it. You've been raising an alarm about it. Uh, but men and women often respond to candidates and political information differently for a number of reasons. And Black men and women are no different. And yet the kind of outreach Black men tend to get at these fake barbershop talks that often are too late, never move the needle. How do we keep the conversation going about what's at stake between elections? And how do we get campaigns better at talking to Black men? Well, Bakari, let's, let's first acknowledge the obvious. Uh, we would not have a Black vice president a Democratic president and Joe Biden, a majority in the Congress, if it wasn't for the most concrete and consistent voting bloc in a generation, that's Black women. Let's, 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 let's identify with obvious. But when we talk about the power of the Black vote, we cannot talk about them in two separate uh, windows. It's the collective Black vote is where we find our power. And when I wrote that piece for the New York Post, because as you know, because you and I have talked about it, I caught so much hell when I said mm -hmm. Black men will be the most consequential voting bloc going forward in any given election. Why? Because in the 2016 election, 13% of black men voted for candidate Donald Trump. And we've seen election after that, those numbers increase in particular as the black electorate expanded. And so what we have to do is articulate to black men, not what we will do for them, but what we've done for them and identify with the alternative. If you ask the average black man in a barbershop, at a fraternity meeting, at the space table, shooting horseshoe, at the hole in the wall on a Friday night, drinking uh, gin and coke, uh, what you will not hear them articulate to do is why they should come back out and vote after they voted in 2020 and in 2018. And I find that disturbing because we know, you and I know, all the things that could have been done if Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and Kevin McCarthy would have had their hand on the power switch. We also know what has been done because Pelosi, Schumer, and Biden have had their hands on the power switch. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 
miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So I'm a little bit more pessimistic, I think, than you are. Um, but I, I'm going to guess you're more optimistic than I about this. But let's talk about uh, the race-specific dynamics in the house. What's your best case scenario for the house this fall? And if you can name five house races that if listeners could support today that you think are pivotal in terms of keeping control of the house, what would you want my listeners to, to focus on? Well, the best case scenario for us, Picard, is to hold with what we have. Uh, you know, I'm a block before I tackle kind of fellow when it comes to politics. So I believe in protecting what we have, and then we pivot to tackling what could be. Uh, and I think where in the past we've gotten this fought into this idea of overpromising and underdelivering, and so people mm-hmm. lose enthusiasm. Donors uh, get mentally and financially drained because we find ourselves playing in spaces where we shouldn't, instead of protecting the obvious. Uh, as a baby of the Congressional Black Caucus, I start with my frontliners, uh, particularly my Congressional Black Caucus frontliners, Stephen Horser out in Nevada, uh, Lauren Underwood uh, down in Illinois, um, uh, and, and so many others who are Congressional Black Caucus frontline races that we absolutely, absolutely, Bakari, uh have to protect. And then we go to places where, where President Trump lost very handsomely. And we have a tremendous pickup opportunity. But because we also have some seats where we have Congressional Black Caucus members retiring, where we have a real opportunity to really save those seats. I look at Don Davis in North Carolina, the seat that G.K. Butterfield will be um, leaving. We absolutely, absolutely have to protect that seat. Um, I look at our brother up in New York, Mondale Jones, who's running in New York uh, 17, I think it is, uh, an open seat because of the maps and the redistricting process. That's a seat that we also have to bring into the Congressional Black Caucus fold. There are a number of opportunities around the country for people to watch, but also engage in whether it's financially, whether it's in a text, phone call, email, or even a smoke signal. Because uh, like in <laughs> um, <laughs> like in Denmark, uh, uh, like in Swansea, you know, internet is not always a hot button thing. Let's talk about the Senate then, because I think I am absolutely very optimistic about the Senate. Because one of the things I've said on this show many times people actually stop me on the street and say they believe it is that all we have to do is win the same seats that Joe Biden won in 2020 and you get 52 Senate seats. So if we want to, if we want to talk about the Senate, what Senate races are you watching and what do you think democratic chances are for holding the Senate? Well, going back to my philosophy block before we tackle, we have uh, Senator Warnock down in Georgia. We have Mark Kelly in Arizona. We have Mastos in Nevada. We have, um, the seat in New Hampshire is Maggie. Uh, th- those are certainly top priorities, Bacar. And then we have a real pickup opportunity in Pennsylvania, certainly a real pickup opportunity in North Carolina. Uh, so there's a real block and tackle reality where we could actually gain Senate seats to whitewash uh, some of those uh, senators in the current caucus who may not always be on the right side of history when it comes to issues we care about. And so uh, I treat the Senate like I treat the House. 
uh, as a true investment, not an expense. And it's going to take resources. I know the current political forecast calls for heavy rain and storms for us. Uh, however, however I, I do believe that we have the ability to change the political weather this cycle, Bakar. But if it is to be, it's going to be up to you and me and all the people, uh, the thousands and hundreds of thousands of listeners who listen to this podcast to make sure that, that they do not sit this election out. With the president's, I mean, this is just a very tangible block and tackle question. With the president's approval rating the way it is, are you going to see him out on the, he and the vice president out on the campaign trail? I mean, do you, or does it depend on the race, how much you associate with them? I mean, I know he ain't going to be with Tim Ryan in Ohio. That's pretty clear, but right. what, what, where do you see him being the campaigner in chief this fall? Bakari, make no mistake, Joe Biden is still one of the most effective messengers in our party. Uh, and I think he has to be one of the many voices that go out and sell what he has done as the president and make the yep. contrast between he and Donald Trump. I think we have to absolutely do that. And although his approval ratings may not be where they are, the one, two things about that. We know that Joe Biden has always had the ability, Bakari, to take a licking and keep on ticking. Uh, if you remember in the presidential preference primary, where I did beat you up pretty good, uh, the polls indicated that perhaps he was not the best candidate. Uh, he could not win, but he defined political gravity and won, and he still did not have the high poll numbers that everyone anticipated, but he won. And that's because people wrap their arms and their tentacles around Joe Biden. The second thing, although the president may not be on the ballot, because his agenda is. And here's what I would tell you about the president's agenda in comparison to the Republicans. There's not one item on the president's legislative agenda that does not poll in any given poll above 50% among the American people as Democrats and Republicans. Where the Republicans have made a true mistake is they have tapped on the shoulder of sleeping giants with this idea of buying into what the Supreme Court has done to pull literally the sheets off the political bed in this country by reversing course on dedicated years of history. And I think that's going to backfire on the political. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. 
Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and one of the one of the things that we always talk about, but before we get to that, why is the president's approval rating so low? I mean, I think I think I know, but if you were giving your analysis on CBS, how would you explain it to the viewers and listeners on what is driving his president, his presidential approval ratings down to the low 30s? Uh, because, because, as I said in the op-ed piece a few uh, months ago, it's easier to be angry than informed. Uh, and truth be told, if people were more informed, they wouldn't, the pissivity level that we see and we feel out here around politics and Joe Biden, we would not feel it the way we have. Uh, because think about this, Bakari, if you do not do politics the way you and I do on a regular basis, on a daily basis, the only thing you can say to yourself is, uh, I may be paying more for groceries, at one point in time, gas was kept going up, but now it's creeping down, and we don't talk about that. Uh, I don't feel like government's working for me. And so who's in charge? Joe Biden and the Democrats who made these promises. But no one in their right mind could have anticipated a war uh, between Ukraine and Russia that has literally changed the chemical makeup around this country. United States, The United States is not the only nation dealing with inflation and dealing with high prices of goods and services. It's happening around the world. But because we've let Republicans out message us with their messengers, people yeah. may not understand that. And so I think that's why people are upset and angry. And there's so much noise in the Democratic space that we can't hear the lyrics. We've had a few people, Bakari, essentially become the voices and the faces of our party. And although they may be wrong as hell about the issues and where we stand as a party, People use what they say and what they do as a weapon, as a political weapon of mass destruction and distraction. And as a result, you have people who are angry who should be smiling and happy because I know and you know what the alternative could be with Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and Kevin McCarthy. You never lie about that. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about our own party. You are under 40 like me. How old are you now, Anton? I'm, 30, I'm 37. Yeah, I'm 37 too. I think we're the same age. When you turn 38? I'll be 38 next year in March. I think you might be a few months older than me, man. So, you know, we got to- I'm getting up, I'm getting up there. <clears throat> but because, you know, I, we have to remind people that good Southern black does not crack. So we don't uh, look our age. You know, we, uh, <laughs> but let's talk about this. Do you see a changing of the guard coming in house leadership and groups like the CBC anytime soon? And what leaders are you seeing emerge in these groups as the next generation of congressional leadership? You know, I see the, the CBC as a little hip hop with a touch of R&B uh, because we're truly a diverse caucus, caucus 58 members, uh, six full committee chairs, 30 plus subcommittee chairs. But in politics, there's always transition, whether it's forced uh, or whether it's on its own transition will always happen. I think what you're going to see after this cycle is you're going to see the leadership perhaps change in some spaces, but you're going to see an attitude towards the value of the CDC not only being the conscience of the Congress in the country, but also the Constitution. And I truly believe after this cycle, the CBC will be the largest voting bloc consistently in the Congress. And so that's gonna yield change and results on its own. When I think about up and comers in the Congressional Black Caucus, you can't ignore uh, the House Democratic leader, House Democratic Caucus leader, Akeem Jeffries. And you can't, you know, I'm selfish when I say this, but you can't ignore uh, a true rising star in our party, Congresswoman Chantel Brown from Ohio. Uh, you think about the Stephen Horcher. I mean, you think about the Richie Torres. There's so many, uh, Joe Neguse. There's so many leaders that we have to put our arms around and embrace them. 
But here's what I would say is I've said to you so many times, what we can't do is be in a hurry and not and have leaders who are not prepared to handle the ball when it's time to run a big play that will essentially determine whether we win the game or not. And so I think that you will see a transition after this cycle more than anything else. I know you're focused on 2022, but let's talk about 2024 and beyond before I get you out of here. Do you think that the performance of Democrats in this cycle will have anything to do with uh, the president's decision of whether or not to run again? Or do you think he's running again regardless because he uh, is the best chance to beat Trump in 2024? I certainly hope that the president uh, will run again uh, because I do believe that he has work to do. Uh, I don't get caught up in this noise that exists out here, Bakari, about uh, people spending unnecessary money to say that Joe Biden should not run again in 2024 because my focus is solely on 2022. But here's what I will tell you about 2024. We have to be unified, just like we have to be in 2022. Think about this, Bakari. Um, think about the, 2020, the 2016 election. Bakari, just imagine if you did not have some of the progressives and some of the others who voted for a third-party candidate, knowing yep. damn well they could not win. Yep. As a and result, they brag about it. They brag about and it. They and brag they brag about it. And, and they got paid to and, do it. And, and Bakari, guess what else? As a result of that, President John, Donald Trump changed the chemical makeup of the judiciary. Three Supreme Court seats, hundreds of seats to the lower courts, rolled back policy and rolled back progress in this country. And so... I don't want us to get distracted about 2024, but focus on 2022. And Bakari, look, we got 99 problems in this party, but being unified should not be one. And so I, I mean, think it's so it, important it, it, that we Trump stay unified. Is Trump running you know, again? If, if President, former President Donald Trump runs again, he will be certainly a, a liability in some places, but in some places for the Republican Party, he will be an asset. And make no mistake, I don't count him out because he has had the ability to tap into disinfected voters in this country who are mad as hell, frustrated, and felt left out, black and white, non-voters and voters. He has had the ability to tap into them because of the way he communicates and his raw uh, articulation of politics as we know it. And so certainly he will be a liability, certainly he will be an asset. Uh, but truth be told, I think we have to use that as a galvanizing tool for Democrats to turn out our base, Picard, because I don't care how red or blue any seat or state is, if we don't turn out, communities that look like mine and yours, the ones we grew up in, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Last question for you. In terms of the uh, process whereby we nominate a president of the United States, what does that look like in terms of states? You know, I'm biased. South Carolina need to be first, but I understand Nevada. I don't mind going out and covering a race in Las Vegas. Uh, but Iowa and a caucus, that can't be it no more. So what does it look like? What are you hearing? Give me, break some news. Tell me something. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, uh, that old political, uh, biblical um, text would tell you that the road to heaven and the White House runs through South Carolina. Uh, and since 1992, Bakar, every presidential uh, nominee we've had have won South Carolina since 1992, with the exception of 2004, neighboring state friend John Edwards, who won the South Carolina primary. And so we will decide uh, because we, I do believe, and I'm confident that we will maintain our first in the South status. I'm happy with Nevada being first in this process. Why? Because I think that is a flirtation with the true diversity of our party, with the chemical makeup of the Latino vote and the Black vote in Nevada. Bring y'all 
Tail South. We'll introduce you to Kiki's Chicken and Waffles, Lizard Thicket, Big T's Barbecue. Uh, get you a plate, uh, gain some weight, and move on south. And I think that was how we should decide this nomination process and our nominee. All right, my brother Antoine C. Wright, thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers Podcast. It's been a blast, my brother. I'll see you around, man. Bakari, see you soon. Take good care.